Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the production studios of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X coming to you live each and every single Tuesday, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of giving world-class education from megapreneurs. And tonight is absolutely no different. Tonight, we have the co-founder of the Fat Shack and the expert or an expert, I should say. I'm not going to say the expert yet, but he's he's growing in that space. If you want to learn about franchising and how to effectively build it out and model it, you have got to learn more about none other than Tom Armenti. Tom, how are you doing this evening, brother? I'm good, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm great. Thanks for uh, thanks for popping on, uh, folks. We are Infinity X is live streamed on Facebook and YouTube. Replay, we are infinityx.com. We are Infinity X YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and we are Infinity X app. So, Tom, what's going on this evening, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. Just finishing up a day grinding and joining you a couple minutes late. Sorry about that, guys. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That typically means that you're busy, which is a good thing. <laughs> always. What always. do you what what do you have to what are you up to in the world right now, brother? Uh, just a whole bunch of back-end stuff right now. We just had a owner's conference a couple weeks ago out here in Colorado. So we had all of our franchisees out here, um, just pushing a lot of stuff over with them, continuing to follow up, just continue to push the Fat Shack brand forward. Fat, uh, Tom, and look, I, I you know, <laughs> you need a, a, a turbo jet to be able to keep up with all the things that you're up to in the world. You know, it's uh, it's unbelievable. Your trajectory is just so massive, Tom. And we're going to go really, really deep because I just, you know, I, I think that people are looking more heavily now at franchises and residualized incomes and business ownership, probably than in the 20, almost 24 years that I've been in financial planning. I see it come up day in and day out. And there are so many people that are not prepared to go into that space. So many people that have no clue what it is to launch a franchise, right? And I want to go really, really deep with you on that because we've had multiple conversations and to get to know you um, on a personal basis as well as business basis has been just a real treat. Um, but the story of human excellence is one that we always lead off with on Infinity X because you didn't get to where you are without you know uh, making mistakes good bad you know all all of the above and i just love to hear the journey of the entrepreneur so tom where are you from yeah. originally yeah so i'm from ramsey new jersey originally north jersey okay and and that's where i'm very familiar with ramsey the really really <laughs> nice yeah. really really nice area and you went to you went to ramsey high school yep went to ramsey high and then for college i went down to the college of new jersey outside of trenton Got it. What was that like? Uh, it was fun. I mean, TCNJ, for those of you in New Jersey, probably heard of it. Everyone else in the country probably has no idea what TCNJ means. Uh, it's a little bit of a smaller school, you know, four, 5,000 kids. Um, but, you know, it was perfect. It was in-state school, had some scholarships, was able to get in and, you know, talking about financial future, not really leave with any student debt, which was a big thing for me. So, you know, it was a big reason I chose that school. Amazing. Amazing. And what did you study? Uh, that, you know, that's kind of the beginning of my story is, is I was a business major, 
Um, but as you get to know me, you know, I'm not exactly the organized type. I'm kind of a grind it out, fly by the seat of your pants, take risks. So I was actually open options business until my uh, senior year when I was forced to declare marketing because I had taken too many marketing classes, you know, because I was doing my own schedule, wasn't really meeting with advisors. Um, so I kind of had to choose marketing to make sure I could graduate in the four years. <laughs> Yeah. And now it's funny how on the back end, that's probably one of the one of the things that you do best, obviously. So you're, yeah. you're forced to something, you're forced into your own excellence, essentially, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. course, by, the way, but by the way, if you have a question for Tom at any point during the conversation, please feel free to put it into chat. We will get to it as we can. Um, so college of the uh, uh, college of New Jersey, right? And yeah. um, yeah. did you have um did you have the entrepreneurial spirit at that point or were you approaching it from, you know what, when I graduate, I'm just going to go get a nine to five and just that's what it's going to be. Yeah. I mean, I think always in the back of your head, you think you have to probably do the nine to five job. Um, but I will say I started at about 15 or 16 years old playing online poker. Um, oh. so, so that was, that was kind of the start of that entrepreneurial, you know, back then one, I wasn't supposed to be playing cause I was only, you know, 15 or 16 years old. Um, so, you know, sorry, you get a pass, bro. <laughs> yeah. 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 Sorry to my brother who was 18, who I use his name to, you know, to register for the account and all that stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My, my, my parents weren't too pleased when they found out about that. Um, but you know, you start playing for a dollar or $5 and, and then all of our friends were playing. We were big fans of the movie rounders back in the day, which if you haven't seen it, go check out rounders. Um, so, you know, we thought it was going to be a professional poker player maybe. And, kept playing that through college. So, you know, the first few years of college, I actually just played online poker in the background. You know, I drive up to Turning Stone Casino, which is, uh, you know, 18 and up to gamble, play some poker tournaments up there. And, and that was just kind of the beginning of managing my money, managing a bankroll. You know, you play this tournament, how much do you have left? How much can you win? You know, weighing the risk and reward. Um, so, you know, that was kind of the first step into the entrepreneurial side there. Got it. Got it. I love that. I love that. And did you find while, while you're in school and while you're doing all of this, did you find that you were managing, if you could turn back the clock, right. And, and, and speak to the young Tom, um, was young Tom managing his money? Well, was young Tom managing his money? We'll call it suboptimally. What did that look like? Well, well, young Tom was also in a fraternity in, in TCNJ's <laughs> by Kappa Psi. And young yep. Tom was the social chair of Capasai, so you know I may or may not have dropped uh, five hundred to a thousand dollars on a foam machine so we could fill the basement with foam and have foam parties. You know I may or may not have thrown a bunch of parties and bought all the alcohol for them. And, but even yeah. even then, still it was all right. If I get this foam machine, I can then probably sell a ticket for you know ten dollars instead of five dollars. We could get more people to come to the party. So yeah, you know, it's still had a little bit of that, a little bit of that in the background. But I would say, you know, at that point, my goal was have my own money, have some fun with it, but you know, continue to manage it and hopefully have it grow through poker and you know other means. Got it, got it. And then uh, post graduation, what happened next, Tom? So post graduation was, you know, kind of that point where I knew that I wanted to start the Fat Check. You know, backtracking just a little bit, junior year of college. Um, it was me and a couple of buddies from Ramsey, my hometown friends, and we were sitting around trying to figure out, hey, what are we going to do for jobs this summer? Because, you know, for those of you that are business majors, junior year summer is kind of when you're supposed to get that internship. You're supposed to go work for that company, have that experience, you know, to show when you graduate so you can get a real job. You know, we sat around my buddy's house trying to figure out, you know, what are we going to do? We don't want to get real jobs. So, you know, after a few stupid ideas, um, we came up with the idea of a late night 
restaurant. Uh, you know, our town didn't have a bunch of late night food. And one of my best friends, his dad owned a local bagel shop, deli in town. Um, so we kind of just had the idea of, hey, maybe we can run nights. So, you know, we approached his father. He allowed us to operate out of there Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. Um, and yeah, we did, you know, a bunch of deli sandwiches and things, but we also added fat sandwiches, which is, you know, again, for people in Jersey, it's a staple, you know, they're at Rutgers, the grease trucks, you know, at every diner, you could find a fat sandwich, you know, fried food loaded on a roll. So we added a few of those to the menu for that, for that late night, uh, punch at, you know, two in the morning after somebody's been at the bar. Sure. Of course. And let me ask you, and, and what type of analytics went it went into you know the thought process of launching that? I mean, you mentioned okay that was popular at Rutgers, right? But like when you did, did you do market surveys, Tom? Did you do any of those? You know, yeah, those I steps mean, that you need to take. I mean, at that point, you know, we were the market. We were twenty years old, you know, looking for late night food, and and our friends were in the market too, or we knew, you know, it was either drive to McDonald's, and we knew that people probably shouldn't be driving at that hour, you know, from what yeah, we had right. seen. Um, sure. and yeah, yeah. And just, you know, we knew that that food killed it at night, obviously from what we had seen in other places. So, you know, that was, that was kind of the only market research we did. You know, the cool part was it, you know, we, we worked out this deal with his father. So it was very low risk because even if we came in, you know, what's going to happen, we lost a little bit of money. You know, we built the menu on Microsoft word ourselves, you know, sitting there with a, a one point font, you know, getting the spacing just right. And, you know, then we just went around and handed out all the menus to every high school in the area and spread the word. And, you know, I, I joke around that we were like the original ghost kitchen because, you know, people didn't even know where we, where we were. Um, you know, we were just doing delivery at, at night. So. Incredible. Incredible. But what happened next after like, yeah. So, so me and my friends ended up running that business together for about a year, year and a half. Um, and I knew that there was a market for it at the college of New Jersey. So, you know, me and my one buddy whose dad owned the shop kind of just said, Hey, you know what? I'll let you keep this business that we started. I'm going to break off and do my own thing. Um, that business, by the way, for anyone in New Jersey, it's called cars, C-A-R-S. And there's still a shop at Ramsey. Yeah. There's still one at Montclair state that my buddy opened up. So, you know, that's still there to this day. If people want to go check it out. Um, but you know, that's when I came up with the, the different brand fat check. And the idea was to bring that down to, you know, my college where I graduated from because same exact scenario. I knew that there was really no late night food. You know, at our college we had, uh, there was one guy that drove around in a minivan with $5 pizzas. You know, I think mm. he used to work at Domino's and he started his own thing after. And it was just, you know, kind of that cardboard $5 pizza. And then there was a wing place that was, it was a 50, 50 chance if you called up they might show up, they might not show up, you know, and, and people were drinking, they would keep your money, they wouldn't care, you know, there was no service to it whatsoever. So I knew there was a market for it. And it was totally untapped at that point. And what type of profit margins gave you the idea? Like, aha, wait a second, I'm really on to something like how profitable was it when you first launched? Well, yeah, I mean, that was the cool part back when I was doing it with my friends is, you know, we, we saw it was all fried food, you know, on rolls at that point, you know, nowadays totally different on the costing structure, but back then the fried food was pretty inexpensive. So, you know, we were able to, you know, at that time, college kids put a few grand in our pocket, you know, just working the weekends. That's kind of where I saw, oh yeah, this is definitely something big, you know, that I could elaborate on. Um, and, you know, that was the whole idea is, is take it down to that market where now there's four or 5,000 college kids that are untapped. So, you know, I really had no idea what the potential was at that point. I just knew, come in, do the food right, focus on customer service. And, you know, I'll figure that money side out a little bit later. But luckily, you know, we opened first night and did $2,300 in sales, you know, at TCNJ and just 
you know, blew it out of the park. You know, no one, no one even knew where we were. Again, all paper menus again, handed them out in the dorms. And yeah, I mean, my problem was I had a bunch of fraternity brothers working for me that had no idea what they were doing and training them on the fly. You know, I thought to myself, what the heck have I done? I am going to be in this kitchen, you know, for the rest of my life <laughs> making sandwiches. Now, um, did you know that, it, like, was your model going to be delivery? Was it going to be foot traffic? Was it going to be a combination of the both? Like, what were, you know, what did that look like? Yeah, I mean, originally the plan was all delivery. You know, originally the plan was, you know, I think my entity name was Fat Shack Late Night Delivery, LLC. So it truly was, you know, that late night delivery because we weren't right next to campus by any means. Um, you know, backtracking just a little bit, to get into the store at TCNJ, I actually was able to find, you know, similar to what I did up north with my buddy, I was able to find another bagel shop locally who, you know, allowed me to come in and share the space with them. Because after I, yeah, after I graduated, I started looking for spaces, you know, talking to contractors, you're talking 150, 200K just to build it out even before sure. the restaurant equipment. So after about three months of being pretty demoralized, you know, still going to college parties, feeling like, oh man, you know, I'm that... I'm that graduated guy that's still showing up at the party. Um, I was like, I got to figure something out. So I was able to, you know, find someone locally and, and we struck a deal so I could work, you know, out of his bagel shop. So it got was it, truly man. just late night, you know, 6 p.m. until 3, 4 in the morning, you know, running crazy sandwiches to the drunk kids at the college. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened next, right? Because obviously you started to scale, right? Did you recognize that you're going to have to staff on a more full-time basis? Like what, what transpired? Like, tell me about the snowball. Yeah, I mean, that, that's been the crazy part about starting the business the way that I did, you know, in that uh, little bagel shop was we didn't have enough space. It was 900 square feet. So I used to store a bunch of the product in my garage. You know, I have box freezers. So I get my food delivered to the garage, unload all the stuff in there. You know, then the day of or, you know, the night of I'd load up the car, bring enough food over for the day, you know, run that night. Um, so, you know, I was quickly able to build some staff up in there, but realized that operation, you know, was a little bit unsustainable to, you know, leave that in somebody else's hands, having to build that out. Um, so, you know, one, we started renovating the bagel shop to make it a little bit bigger so we could, you know, fit some more of our stuff in there. And then two, I have family out in Colorado, which is, you know, where I'm sitting right now, Loveland, Colorado. And uh, yeah, they convinced me to come check out Fort Collins, which, you know, for those who don't know, Colorado State University is in Fort Collins. That's about 30,000 kids. So you go from 4,000, 5,000 to 30,000 plus, you know, a booming late night town. So that was kind of my first jump into my first full store uh, was in 2011 when I, you know, moved out to Colorado and opened the store in, in Fort Collins. Incredible. Folks, we are Infinity X, stage and microphone with human excellence. This is Tom Armenti, the founder, uh, CEO of the Fat Shack franchise. Um, buckle your seatbelts because what happened next, folks, and the trajectory and development and growth of this franchise is unbelievable. Right. So if you have a question for Tom, by all means, please put it in the chat. Replay. We are infinityx.com. We are infinityx YouTube. And hey, Parker, can you do me a favor? Just make sure everybody else is muted other than um, Sean if, or Tom, if they're not. Um, so I just want to make sure we didn't have any uh, disturbance in the in the sound quality there, Tom. Yeah, right. But um, all right. So you get out to Colorado State. Right. You know, you're now a very, very small fish in a much, much bigger pond. Right. What happens next? Yeah. So, I mean, e even just, again, getting the store open in Colorado, um, you know, again, I was looking for spaces, super expensive to build them out. 
I was able to find an existing restaurant that was going out of business. So I was able to buy, you know, them out of their lease for cheap amount and, you know, take over the infrastructure, hood, all that kind of stuff in place. So I was able to do it for, you know, about 75,000 at that point to build out my first full restaurant. So, you know, that's kind of the theme you'll see throughout is keeping it scrappy. You know, it's a big thing for us getting going. Where did the funding come from? Uh, uh, so at that point, I had some of the money from, you know, the New Jersey shop. And my, my father actually had a, a line of credit on his house, you know, so it wasn't like wow. rolling in money. It's, you know, my dad willing to put up their house as collateral to get me the rest of that funding, you know, to open Ooh. that store. So obviously, it takes, you know, it takes someone Thank to believe you. in you. Heck yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's incredible. So cash, sweat equity, and a little bit of home equity, essentially. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, at that point, you know, I'm in Colorado and again, these fat sandwiches, these crazy you know, French fries, chicken fingers, all this stuff on a sandwich. People in Jersey knew what it was. People in Colorado, a lot of them had never even seen anything like this before. So it was kind of jumping into a risky, you know, a risky area. But for me, you know, it always, it always just fell back to grinding it out, doing, you know, doing the right thing by the customer, doing the right thing by the quality of the food. And, you know, I knew it would make sense eventually. So, you know, right away when I opened, it was the first time I was going to open for lunch and I had my own space. I'm doing the projections. Oh man, lunch business, you know, cool. We're doing this much an hour at night. We'll do that during the lunch. You know, we're going to start doing all these huge numbers. I'm going to kill it. And then we open and lunch is just flat as can be. You know, there's, there's no sales during lunch. You know, I've got multiple counter people hired, you know, all this stuff. And I quickly realized, all right, we got to trim, trim the numbers. You know, I got to start, you know, get my food costs together. So that first year was truly me sleeping in the store a lot of nights. You know, I had an air mattress I'd blow up behind the counter you know, I'd work from 10 a.m. till 4 a.m. I'd go to sleep for about four or five hours. I'd wake up, I'd do it again. You know, so countless nights, just kind of grinding it out. Again, focusing on the quality, the customer service. Um, but then I started counting, hey, how many jalapeno poppers come in the bag? You know, how many chicken fingers come in? All right, we got to trim that down, you know, fix the food costs. All right, cut those counter people, get less people in the kitchen. You know, and after the first year of just basically scraping by and breaking even, then I figured it out and I was able to pay that loan back to my dad, you know, throughout the next year, just knock the whole thing out really quickly. And that's kind of when, you know, I started realizing, all right, we're getting this together. You know, I want to grow and I want to build this thing. So, and, and grow you did, right? Because now exactly. you, you know, you, you, you find, so you did market analysis, right? You did cost analysis. You quickly identified what was going to work and what was not going to work. And I think that that's really a big, big takeaway folks that you need to listen to the subliminal message of that is that <clears throat> one of the big risks to a business is overexpansion, right? And another, and by overexpansion, I mean, extension of the values of the value adds in the service that you offer when you're not prepared to do so. And that can, that can come back to hurt you, right? That can come as opposed to doubling down on what it is that you're really, really good at, right? And then allowing that ultimately to expand upon itself, which obviously it did, Tom, right? So what happened, what happened after the first store really started to cash flow and become net positive? Yeah. So after Fort Collins was doing well, um, that's when my business partner and, you know, co-founder of the franchising company, Kevin Gebauer came on board. He was selling uh, commercial insurance back in New Jersey. You know, he did my insurance. He had kind of seen what was going on and he was that missing piece, you know, cause that's another piece is just understanding what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. Like I mentioned earlier, um, go get it, grind it out. You know, let's, let's take a risk. But I didn't have that organizational piece behind me. You know, I had never done a business plan. I, I didn't have all of that stuff. Kevin on the flip side, he was the most organized guy that I knew. You know, he was the guy back in college that I paid $20 to and he'd finished the presentation, you know, and then I'd go in with him and, 
and BS it the next day. So, you know, I, I knew it was a good partnership. We were best friends too. So, you know, I knew we'd get along. So he quit his job. He moved out in 2013. And then we opened the Boulder, Colorado location, which again, for those who don't know, CU Boulder is there, even bigger than Fort Collins, even mm -hmm. bigger partiers, than, you know, than, than up in Fort Collins. And we opened that store October of 2013, blew all of our records out of the water opening week. You know, Kevin and I, again, just grinding it out. You know, we had an apartment and sleeping on air mattresses, you know, down the street just while we're grinding. Um, so it's just kind of the same story again, just grind, 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 you know, figure it out. Um, and then, you know, from there, that was really the test for franchising. We treated that as a franchise. We started charging ourselves royalties. You know, we created the parent company. We treated Boulder like a franchise. We started charging ourselves royalties, um, you know, and, and, and seeing and what this was model the advantage, to grow. What, what was the advantage of doing that, Tom, of charging yourselves royalties? Yeah, so the advantage of that was that so we could truly test the model as a franchise model, you know, because when you're a franchisor, the way you make your money is, you know, franchise fees up front but then also royalties ongoing as a percentage of people's sales. So we wanted to make sure that the business could sustain itself, you know, while it was still paying royalties to that parent company. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. Well, go ahead, please. No, 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 no. Like I just, I don't want to stump. I don't want to pause greatness, <laughs> but I'm, just, I'm <laughs> I mean, I'm seeing that you were doing the analytics. Did you know that you were going to franchise Tom at that particular point? Or was it, you know, was it something where, Hey, we're going to test the waters, you know, and see if this is a model that is replicatable and then we could maybe, you know, seek to further develop it out. Yeah. So, so at that point when we opened the Boulder store, we did know we were going to franchise. If you rewind about six months though, when Kevin first moved out, we actually had thought about licensing our brand only because for those who don't know the franchising side of it to get paperwork done to you know become a legal franchisor it does cost a lot of money in legal fees and we weren't sure we wanted to go that route so we were trying to find a way where maybe we could partner with other restaurants that would you know they open all during the day and then we'd allow them to sell fat shack branded food at night you know it wouldn't be us operating it it would be them almost as a licensee because then it would be cheaper and easier to get going but we very quickly realized after, you know, we had a bunch of meetings, we had one deal that was, you know, we were talking pretty seriously with them in Boulder actually. But again, Kevin and I went down there and we saw what it was like on a Thursday night in Boulder with the kids, you know, partying Pearl street. It was just out of control. And we just yeah. thought, all right, there's no way that we're going to be able to run, you know, have somebody run a fat shack out of their little wing shop down the street. We've got to get our own full store. So at that point we said, We'll do it ourselves. We'll build up the money. You know, we'll do the franchising eventually once we can really prove it. So at that point, we knew that we wanted to franchise. And I'll say in the back of my head, I always, you know, reading books, looking into other people that have been successful. That's, you know, been a big thing for me. McDonald's, you know, the biggest franchise you can imagine, you know, in the restaurant space. I was reading all the books about that. You know, that was even back in Jersey when I was first getting going, you know, reading books on Wendy's and reading books on all these big fast food empires. So that was a big inspiration for me too, knowing Hey, this is a great way to grow. You know, we're gonna we're gonna franchise this thing eventually. Just gotta figure out how. And so, what happened next after that? So you you launch Boulder, it explodes, and then what yep. happens? So the big thing for us was trying to build people up from the inside as well. So I knew I wanted to franchise, but I also knew that we had really good people inside of the company that started off as you know delivery drivers, kitchen workers. You know, I'm talking five dollars an hour, eight dollars an hour. You know, starting wages. That were my employees who we saw, you know, a lot in, you know, these guys were grinding, they knew what they were doing in the kitchen, you know, and we believed in them. And, you know, that was a big thing for me starting off at, you know, 21, 22 years old was not a lot of people believe in young entrepreneurs. You know, if I didn't have my dad backing me, 
there's no bank that would have given me that money at that point because I didn't have collateral. Right. Um, so our big thing in the beginning was, you know, these these people that are truly grinding it out and we believe in, let's figure out a way to get them that money. So our first franchisee was a kitchen guy, you know, started off from Fort Collins in 2012 and ended up uh, opening a store in Denver, you know, DU right near uh, the college there in Denver. And we ended up loaning him some of the money. You know, he had some family help him and then we loaned him some of the money as well to get that space open. So he was our first franchise in 2015. And then we had another young guy who was a graduate from CU Boulder. He did his just a couple months later as the second franchise. And then we had another guy who started as a delivery driver in 2011 in the uh, Fort Collins store, also opened the third franchise. So three of them kind of back to back to back in 2015. Folks, I want to play in this space for a second because this is just absolutely genius. So when, you know, Tom, correct me if I'm wrong, but like if you're looking at a franchise, typically speaking, you walk in off the street and you want to you, you want to open up a, a, a locate you want to open up a location um, as long as you have the funding, as long as you have the financing. And I'm sure they do a little bit of background, uh, probably a, quite a bit of background check on you, but they essentially just throw you the keys and say, hey, go get them. Right. Or maybe they give you a little bit of tools, a little bit of modeling. You didn't do that. Right. You you organically grew the key personnel that you saw had the, the grind. Right. But also yeah. had, you know, had the intangibles to be able to run a successful location. But you didn't throw them into the deep. You, you didn't throw them to the sharks. Right. So yeah. how did you control or assist in the control of the growth rate? Because obviously you have, uh, you know, royalty, uh, you know, overriding royalty interest in those locations to do well, but how did you manage them from afar? Yeah, I mean, a big thing for me is the people, you know, to me, that's the number one thing. If you take care of the people, you know, the money, the finance side will come, you know, that's kind of how we grew. That's how we decided to build this thing. And like you hinted at there, a lot of franchisors are not like that. A lot of franchisors are all about, hey, let's go out and sell as many as we possibly can. Because again, that's that franchise fee. You know, that's that royalty increase. But then down the line, when you have people that are failing, you know, where you have people that are unhappy and they want to shut down, now you just went from 80 locations, you know, back down to 20. And how does that look on your brand? You know, like, yeah, you got that short term hit with those franchise fees. Um, but mm -hmm. long term, you know, that brand's going to fail. So for us, it was focusing on the people was really the, the key to long-term success. You know, and I say that we're only, you know, 12 years in, so I still got a long way to go for that, you know, continued long-term success, but, but that's our goal is to really focus on the people. Um, and you, you, you know, you kind of hinted at it with how do you control them from afar? The really awesome part about working with people from inside the brand is that they know the brand, you know, they worked directly with me. Yes. They fully understood what the sandwiches are supposed to be made like how, you know, how Tom wants the restaurant to be run. So that really helped us as we were getting going, you know, because out of those first 11 stores that we, that we um, opened, you know, I think all but two or three of them were with people, you know, from the inside that started off as kitchen workers. Incredible. So they knew what we were looking for. Now, and, and, you know, I, uh, the, the story is about to get really, really good and really, really fun from a marketing perspective, brother, because you're a world-class marketer. Um, but, you know, I mean, one of the things obviously that you are aware of, um, you know, and, and you know, uh, many people are becoming much more aware of is that when you're looking for liquidity and leverage, one of the strategies that we use is overfunding life insurance policies, right? Because it gives you liquidity, gives you leverage to be able to deploy back in your business, get multiple rates of return on your money, all of those incredible things. That was absent in your world at that particular point, right? And so um, when did you get to the point, Tom, 
that you realize that this thing could really, really, really scale. Um, and you know, we're, we're going to need a different level of, of funding and exposure to really take this to the levels that we think that we could take it to. Yeah. I mean, it was at that point we had 11 locations. It was 2018 and, you know, my partner, Kevin and I, uh, had always joked around about, you know, the shark tank It was a big thing for us. We always watched the shark tank. Um, you know, if you're a, an entrepreneur or anyone that enjoys business, it doesn't get any better than that. You know, watching somebody in there sweating in front of five, you know, multimillionaires, billionaires, hearing their business, you know, sense, hearing their answers to questions, you know, seeing if they get a deal, working the numbers out. It's just, you know, an hour long of basically, you know, free business school, essentially, in my opinion. So we'd always love watching Shark Tank. And we'd always joked around about, you know, going on. It was at that point in 2018 um, when we had just opened the 11th location. We didn't really have, you know, maybe we had one or two more locations on the horizon. Um, but we kind of realized, you know what, if we had the right funding, the right exposure, you know, we could definitely take this thing to the next level. Um, so it was at that point that I heard about an open casting call in Denver for, you know, another, none other than the Shark Tank. Wow. So I ended up going down there, um, you know, fat shack shirt on, you know, a couple, <laughs> couple of menus in hand, um, you know, and, and my wife was with me and she always jokes about, you know, she's asking me, did you want to, do you want to practice? Do you want to practice your pitch? You want to do this and that? And I was like, nah, you know, it's cool. Cause again, you know, I kind of like to wing it. You know, I, I know my brand obviously. Um, so you go down to Denver and you're in front of just some producers, you go in, you do a quick little pitch and they just tell you, Hey, there's, you know, no chance you're going to hear from us. Just, you know, cool. It was fun. You know, blah, blah, blah. That's the whole thing they give, you know, the hundreds of people that, that audition every year. But next thing you know, I get an email, you know, from Shark Tank saying, Hey, you know, we want to push you to the next level. We're going to get you in contact with the producer. Then you fill out a bunch of paperwork, you know, then you get through to another producer, another producer, another producer. Next thing you know, you're, you know, taking videos of a pitch and doing all this kind of stuff. And we're starting to think like, Oh my God, like, you know, we might actually get, you know, on the show, <laughs> on the Shark Tank. Like, this is what we were talking about from that, you know, next level, the marketing, the exposure. Um, and then, yeah, you get that final call that they're going to fly you out to LA. So, you know, we flew out to LA in uh, September, 2018. And, you know, it's a whole long story about that thing that I'll, I'll, I'll give you another time because we don't you know, have too much time here today. But <laughs> in the end, we get in the tank, you know, we go out there, we pitch the Fat Shack and we get offers from four out of the five sharks that are, you know, in the tank at that point. And we end up stealing a deal with Mark Cuban as, uh, as our investor. <laughs> yeah. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, we are Infinity X stage and microphone with a Shark Tank. Mark Cuban funded Tom Armenti, <laughs> CEO of the uh, of, of of the Fat Shack. And Tom, let me. I just I just need to play a little bit more into that space though for a second, like because, yeah, for sure. In, I mean, you are literally dealing with some of the highest intellectual property that exists. Exists, right. You know, I mean, between Kevin O'Leary and, uh, you know, m- you know, Mark Cuban and all the other uh, all the other sharks that are on there, um, you know, obviously that can be an incredibly intimidating environment. But what was it about your brand that I mean, because, listen, getting a offer is an unbelievable getting on the show is an unbelievable accomplishment. Getting an offer is an incredible. An insane accomplishment. Getting four offers, it doesn't knock on your front door. And that, like, <laughs> yeah. what? What did you do 
right? What was it about Fat Shack that had Mark Cuban, right? The owner of a basketball team, by the way, from the whole, like, you know, and a pretty athletically fit guy, right? You know, yeah. what, what, what was it about Fat Shack that, you know, had him licking his chops? Pardon the pun. Yeah, well, well honestly, going in, going in, we thought a couple of them were going to drop out right away because, you know, it's unhealthy and, and that's obviously not something they'll go for. So we were super impressed that they even, you know, know hung around i'm not gonna lie we knew that we wanted you know mark going into the tank too he, he was kind of the shark we had our eye on um but i think for us you know the brand itself it's fun you know the name fat shack obviously you can't really forget it you know our pitch our pitch was super fun you know kevin was holding a salad we were pretending to be some healthy restaurant and then i come over and i throw it you know right in the trash and we reveal you know fat shack and slide a thing around and you see our fried food and you know i'm saucing a sandwich you know on the set so, you know, it was a fun pitch, obviously. Um, but, you know, when it comes down to it, I think what the Sharks are looking for is one, that business sense, you know, making sure that people know what they're doing. They have a history, they have a track record. But two, you know, we know our brand. You know, we came in super confident. You know, we're having, we honestly had a really good time in the tank with the Sharks. You know, they're firing questions back and forth. You know, we're joking with them, you know, go, going and just bantering back and forth with the Sharks. So I think a big thing too, you know, in business in general, looking for an investor is they need to make sure that they can get along with you. You know, they need to make sure that that you have the confidence and, and you exude, you know, that you're going to be a successful business person because it doesn't matter what the concept is. If you don't have the right person behind it, you know, it's not going to succeed. So in the end, you know, you're selling yourself more than anything in, you know, those types of investor pitches and you only have 30 minutes or, you know, 40 minutes to do it. So you really got to make sure that you shine. And, and in the end, you know, the fact that we knew our numbers, we knew our brand and we exuded that, you know, confidence, I believe is what, ha you know, had four of the Sharks looking to, to do a deal with us. Incredible. And now when Mark um, made his offer to you, right, was it the exact offer that you wanted? So we went in looking for um, 250,000 for 15 or sorry, seven and a half percent of the company. Um, and then, of course, Mr. Wonderful, being who he is, immediately said, <laughs> that he needed 25% and he gave us a whole spiel about he could just invest in a real estate trust and make his 8%. It's not interesting. But of course we're super respectful. You know, we appreciate the offer, Kevin, yada, yada, yada. Um, and keep working down the line, you know, and then next thing you know, both Robert, you know, Robertson at 17 and a half percent making an offer. And then Mark, mm -hmm. Mark was honestly thinking about going out because he was on the fence about the, the health food and unhealthy and, you know, I, I joke around that I think I kind of blacked out. I don't even remember what I said, but I just kind of, you know, spoke directly at Mark, you know, made, made my pitch for him to stay in. He said, all right, fine, I'll do the same 17 and a half percent. And at that point, you know, you've got four sharks on the hook. You know, you know the deal if you've seen the show. If you don't answer them quickly, they start dropping out and, you know, you can lose it all pretty quickly. So, you know, that, that's where it kind of that poker mentality of, all right, I got a big hand. You know, what am I going to play? What am I going to do? And you got to make a decision on the fly. So, you know, I just mumbled a little something to, my, you know, to Kevin, my partner, who was on set with me and just went right at Mark directly and said, hey, would you do 15% instead of that 17 and a half? And if you do, you know, let's lock it up. We got a deal. And that was it. Clapped his hand, said it's done. And we closed it. Yeah. And two and a half points is not insulting, right? That's yeah. not like going no. to him and saying, hey, would you do it for 10%? He'd be like, goodbye, you know? Yeah, Exactly. <laughs> But did you know, did you, uh, did you know that your, that your margins and that your ownership was, you know, was still going to be, you know, really in, not, you know, not heavily diluted at all, yeah. even, 
you, you know, even with, you know, you seven and a half percent to, you know, to 15% is no, that's, I mean, that, that, those are some big points right there. Yeah. So yep. why were you willing to, why were you willing to, to go to that, to that level? So coming into it also, we had established kind of what our ceiling was and that was actually exactly at our ceiling. You know, we weren't going to go higher than that. Oh, so you knew. So, yeah. yeah. So, so we knew coming in and, and, you know, that's the thing about the shark tank too, is you make that deal and you shake hands on set it then goes to due diligence. You know, sometimes deals fall through, people back out, you know, people aren't who they say they were, or they try to change the deal afterwards. You know, if you know anything about me, I would do all of this on a handshake. Every deal I ever do, if I say I'm doing something, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stick to that deal no matter what. So we knew we would stick to 15%. You know, we're not just going to try to do it for the exposure. Um, so, you know, that's just where we knew our limit was. And, and we weren't going to say yes to something that we knew we didn't want in the end. So we had no remorse whatsoever. You know, we knew that was a good deal and, and we were happy to take it. Folks, we are Infinity X, stage and microphone with human excellence. This is Tom Armenti, the co-founder, CEO of The Fat Shack. And we're talking about his experience on Shark Tank. And listen, ladies and gentlemen, be very, very clear that, you know, it's not, <clears throat> you don't have to go, I mean, not everything is Shark Tank, but when you're going into a business partnership, which is exactly what you did, um, you are absolutely 100% representative of the brand, right? The people are investing in you, in, in your vision. I mean, obviously the product has to, has, has a, a big role to play in that, but products come and go, you know, I mean, but, but people are what really, really, uh, you know, the, the savvy business investor invests into, in my humble opinion. And, you know, um, folks, uh, replay it. We are infinityx.com. We are infinityx YouTube. So, so Tom, so you, so you go through that process, right? Had a lot of fun doing it. That's incredible, right? Mark, uh, Mark ends up uh, becoming a investor in the business. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but in addition to the fact that you were getting the exposure from Shark, uh, from Shark Tank in general, right? In addition to the fact that Mark Cuban, probably the most high profile shark, uh, became your business partner, you were also pretty intentional with the season and with the episode and with what could come from that from a marketing perspective after the fact as well, correct? Yeah, definitely. And, and you know, that was the thing too, where once you get out of the tank, you don't really know if you're going to air or not. You know, you hope that you will, obviously, but you're kind of waiting for the producers to let you know, um, you know, when and which episode you're going to be in. And so we did get a little lucky that we ended up being the season 10 finale and we ended up actually being like the headliner, like the last, you know, piece of it. Mm -hmm. um, and, and again, a little bit of luck. It also aired about a week before we had a grand opening at a oh. new store in Fort Worth, Texas, oh which for those God. of you that, you know, don't know geography, Fort Worth is right next to Dallas, oh which is, you know, obviously the Dallas Mavericks and, and Mark's hometown. So, you know, we just were able to really capture a lot of that exposure. You know, there was news channels at the grand opening of Fort Worth. You know, I was there myself for it. And um, yeah, we were able to just kind of capture a lot of that from the marketing and the PR side of things, you know, just to kind of really expand and, and capture as much uh, eyes as possible after that show. Unbelievable, folks. Success leaves clues, right? Everything is intentional. Intentionally be excellent, you know, which is exactly what Tom is giving us a world-class education around is that, you know, and by the way, 
it started from online poker playing when he was in college, right? And, <laughs> and leveraging that entrepreneurial spirit, right? But some of the things that you did at a really, really high level, right? Eliminate the things that you don't do at a high level and outsource them, right? Which is what you did with uh, with your partner, Kevin. And then you get the funding from Mark. Um, everything's intentional with the launch of where it was, et cetera. And what's happened now? Like what, what, is, what has happened as a result of that? Yeah, so you know now we have 30 locations um, operating. We're in 12 or 13 different states right now. Um, you know, so we scattered around you know a little bit. We've got 10 here in Colorado, a bunch in Texas, you know, some in Kansas, and then we've kind of got the one-offs in different markets that you know will eventually hopefully open more inside mm-hmm. of those markets. Um, but you know, shifting into kind of the franchising side of it a little bit too. Once you know, once we aired on the Shark Tank, you know, we got over 3,000 franchise requests. You know, kind of in that first month. Yeah. from people that were reaching out, <clears throat> looking to open their own, you know, franchise. Um, but, you know, important business piece is that we still didn't want to move away from kind of that grinder mentality, you know, having the right owner inside of the space. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So, so that was a big thing for us where, you know, again, talking about franchising and kind of watching your back and, you know, buying into the right company where, you know, no joke, I could have went out and sold probably a million dollars worth of franchise fees, you know, in those first couple months. Mm. Um, but, you know, how many of those people would have been successful? How many of them would have shut down in a year or two? You know, our goal wasn't just to take that quick money and, you know, keep building it and blowing it up. Our goal, again, is for that sustained long-term growth. Um, so, you know, of those 3,000, we kept whittling them down, whittling them down, you know, and, and our tactic is almost scare people away. You know, be brutally honest that, hey, this is a restaurant. You know, this is late night. We're till three, four in the morning. Your customer is at two in the morning. Sometimes, you know, have been at the bar for six hours leading up to it. You know, it, it can be a long night. And, and yeah, be, yeah. 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 And it can be grueling. But for us, you know, we want to make sure it's the right person who's going in there and they're going to treat the brand right. And, you know, from a personal side, that it's it's a good thing for them too. you know, that, that they're going to, you know, believe me, any entrepreneur doesn't enjoy what they do a thousand percent. You know, you wake up some of those mornings and you're like, oh my gosh, what am I doing? This is crazy. Four people quit. This happened, this happened. You know, you'll have those days always. But finding people that, you know, we believe fit with the brand and, you know, could weather those storms when things get difficult. So, so Tom, so, you know, because I keyed in on the fact that you did want to, you wanted to, it sounds like your, your um, interview process is very, very stringent when somebody is coming in approaching you and saying, Hey, I'd like to open up a store location. Um, Let's, let's kind of shift the focus a little bit to, you know, you started because listen, you built out in different marketplaces, marketplaces that you were, where you were not right, you know, into, into different States, different locations. Um, And so what are some of the things that, that you forewarned your franchisees about in turn? I mean, obviously, you know, it's still late night. It's all the grind and everything, but what was it that you forewarned them about that have kind of keyed them in and allowed them to organically grow and become successful and not close up shop in a year? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, you know, the late night, obviously, like you said, but the biggest thing is the workload and understanding, you know, what it means to be a business owner. Because the, you know, the key takeaway is even though you're buying into a franchise where of course, you know, the franchise has a lot of things figured out, they have systems in place, you know, they have deals in place, all the things that are there to help make you successful. In the end, you're still a business owner. You're still an entrepreneur, you know, buying into a franchise where everything falls back on you as that business owner. So that's really the big message that we try to get across to people is, you know, we're here to support you. I'll be there with you making sandwiches for the first few weeks. You know, I'm a phone call away if, you know, you really need help. We've got plenty of layers of support inside of our organization. But in the end, if those people quit, 
if something goes wrong, if there's no food, you know, if the, the providers run out, you're the one driving to go get the supplies. You're the one covering that shift. You know, you're the one canceling those plans for a trip to cover the weekend because your managers quit. You know, for me, owning my original store in Fort Collins that whole time, you know, I always told everybody, I'm, I'm ready to go back in there and work 100 hours a week if I need to. I don't care if I'm the CEO. If that's my store, I might have to do that because, you know, in the end, nobody's going to care as much as the owner. So just really trying to push that point that, yes, even though you're buying into a franchise and, you know, for, for those of you that are familiar with franchising, you have a much higher statistical chance of being successful if you do buy into a franchise. Mm. It still all comes down to you as the business owner, as the entrepreneur who decides to open that business. We are Infinity X. This is Tom Armenti, folks, the found co-founder and CEO of the Fat Shack. We're talking now. We're getting a little bit deeper into franchising and um, replay on WeAreInfinityX.com. We are Infinity X YouTube and um, I, you know every other vertical that's out there. But um, you know, Tom, what is what's the difference between a good franchise model? and a poor franchise model. If people are looking at, you know, if people are, are interested in buying into, because you mentioned, statistically speaking, you have a much higher probability of success on the franchising space than you do just uh, launching a business, launching a business independently. But what is the difference between a good model and a bad model, good contract and a bad contract? Yeah, I mean, in the end, I think it comes down to the support that you're going to get from the franchisor. You know, of course, the structure that they have in place is super important, you know, making sure that they have mechanisms for training, you know, they have deals in place, you know, ways that you're going to end up saving money by buying into that franchise. Um, but, you know, for me, it's those founder led, you know, franchisors, ones that still have the people that know the brand and believe in the brand, you know, no knock on private equity, because of course they're really successful and, you know, they do a great job in certain arenas. Um, in the restaurant space, I think that's a tough, you know, space to be a private equity company running a franchise, um, just because, especially at the smaller level, just because having that support and having, you know, people that you can go to that have been there since the beginning, you know, that know what the brand is and, and truly, you know, believe what that brand is, you know, those are the ones to me that are gonna give you the best support. Um, and, and again, looking out for just that salesmanship, you know, it's, if you're dealing with a franchise sales representative, it is their job to technically sell your franchise, but you should be looking out for someone who's doing that hard sell, you know, make sure you're asking those questions, make sure you're looking out for someone who seems like, Hey, I just want to get this deal across. I'll say whatever I need to say, you know, get the paperwork, go through, call other franchisees. That's a really big thing to look out for is, you know, while franchisors aren't necessarily allowed to share financials, you know, P&Ls and, and things of that nature um, with potential franchise prospects, you are allowed to go walk into a franchise, talk to that owner. You're allowed to call them. You're allowed to get their profit and loss statement. You know, you're allowed to do whatever due diligence and research that you want to do. Um, so I would say just don't, you know, take what a franchisor is saying for, you know, granted and, and, and say that it's, hey, this is guaranteed, you know, because there is nothing guaranteed in business whatsoever. So finding someone that's honest and finding someone that's going to have that support and have your back, you know, if, if stuff's hitting the fan. What about, what about from a, a compensation perspective, right? Financials. What, what are some of the key things to look at on, on, on a franchise, on a franchise model, things that are intelligent to be spending on spending money on and things that aren't intelligent to be spending money on. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm, I'm obviously most familiar with the, the restaurant space. Um, so, you know, for us, like I said, you can't, we can't necessarily give P and L's, um, to somebody, they have to go to a franchisee to look for them. 
But in the restaurant world, you're looking at labor and you're looking at your food costs. You know, those are the two, two biggest things. Um, so you want to look out for those, kind of see how that operation is running, get multiple franchisees involved, see, hey, why is this person running 5% higher labor? You know, talk to that person, decide, all right, they're running 5% higher labor because they're in Seattle and minimum wage is $17 versus this person who's in Texas and they're only paying $10, you know, an hour. So using that also when you're determining, you know, what market you're going to be going into. Um, so that's on the P&L side of it. In terms of the startup capital side, you know, that is something that franchisors have to be totally open about. You know, that needs to be listed in the franchise disclosure document, a range of, you know, 200,000 to 800,000 or, you know, 200 to 400 or whatever it may be of what those startup costs are going to be. Um, so, you know, looking in that range and finding a franchise that obviously fits in your budget, um, clearly you want to be conservative and, and imagine the higher, you know, range, but ask those questions about, hey, what leads a store to be only $180,000 to build out versus what leads it to be $400,000 to build out? You know, again, using the restaurant as an example, if you find that existing infrastructure, you find that hood, you find that grease trap, you find those things, you know, now you're on the low end compared to going into a gray shell and having to build everything out from the bathrooms to the floor to the, you know, air conditioning units and all that kind of stuff. So I asked those questions about why is there this range and what could I do, you know, to be on the lower side of it? Incredible. Folks, you are getting franchise 101, 201, and 301 from Tom Armenti, the CEO and co-founder of the Fat Shack. And, and you know, Tom, uh, this is a loaded question because I kind of know what your answer is going to be, but I think that this is super relevant, right? So you're you're leveling upward. You get up to the point you're, you know, you're, Mark Cuban is an investor in your company. You're up to 30 different locations. You've built out an incredible franchising model. People are working. People are grinding. And then COVID comes, right? You know, <laughs> and and we go into a global pandemic. I, I I have a client who put in five years of absolute sweat equity in reversing the trend of a uh, of a specific. I, and I won't say what uh, what company what, what company it was specifically, but a restaurant franchise um, in New York City and in the surrounding areas and had literally just turned the corner and then COVID came and it was shut down. It was shut yeah. down immediately. Couldn't, didn't have labor, didn't have supply, just went under. And you saw that left and right with, with, with businesses in general, but specifically in the restaurant space. Yep. Why'd you survive? Yeah. And, and that obviously makes me really sad to hear that. Cause I know, you know, a lot of restaurant concepts didn't make it out or were severely damaged. Yep. Um, you know, we luckily, did make it out and, and made it out honestly stronger, you know, than we were before. Mm. Um, for us, I think the key was, you know, I talked about scrappiness and that theme kind of goes throughout. For us, I think that was one of the key reasons for our success was, you know, how scrappy we are as a franchise, how scrappy we are as, you know, restaurant owners and how scrappy our franchisees are as well. Again, looking for those grinders that are willing to get in there, you know, and work through it, not people that are doing it as a side, you know, side job and, and don't have the time to get into the restaurant. Um, so for us, you know, it was that mentality and it was also, you know, we tried to grow and keep everything as inexpensive as possible. So again, for the startup costs, keeping those low, but also keeping our overhead low in terms of rent, you know, after Shark Tank aired, we weren't going out and buying the, the corner lots with $12,000 a month rents and, you know, 4,000 square feet and blowing it up. We're still looking for 1200 to 2,500 square feet, you know, finding that, that good space, you know, we do a ton of delivery. We could be a little off, you know, from the A markets in terms of real estate. Um, so we were poised, you know, luckily to keep everything nimble. 
Um, and you know, when I talk about delivery, like I said earlier, my original entity was Fat Shack Late Night Delivery. You know, sure. delivery and Fat Shack have always, you know, been hand in hand. And a few years back, we did convert to all third-party delivery. You know, to make sure we didn't have to staff our own drivers. And so we have, you know, we have partnerships with all of the the major suppliers. Um, you know, the major delivery companies. We already had those in place. Um, you know, we had we had just integrated the year before with our point of sale system where instead of having to sit there with a tablet and punch in every single order, it's automatically popping up. You know, everything's integrated for us to, to maximize that. So when COVID hit, you know, there's that couple of first months where you're a little scared, like what's going to happen? You can't bring people in, you know, but then we quickly realized that now people are sitting at home and so they can still are delivery. Right? Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Yes. So, you know, so our business went from about 50, 50 delivery dining to 95% delivery, 5% takeout, but we were just ready to upscale with it. What's that? Said, but you were ready to do that. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So we were kind of in that position. And again, being nimble, we could shift quickly, you know, make the adjustments we needed to make, shut down the lobbies, close out the drivers, you know, set up certain ways for people to do online pickup, you know, and, and we could bring it out to them without them even setting foot inside the store. So, you know, again, while those other, a lot of restaurants were pivoting and trying to figure out delivery or, you know, how do we get this to work? We were already there. So we were able to kind of capture a lot of that market from people that were sitting at home. Um, you know, with nothing else to do, but watch Netflix and, and order Fat Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, folks. We are Infinity X stage and microphone. You are listening to innovation uh, because the preparation for a global pandemic supply chain essentially shut down and business shutdown in general was already put in place by Tom and his partner, Kevin, even prior to and the, the, this unbelievable crazy world that we op we op yeah and and you know and it's still going on too and, and while COVID has you know luckily receded and obviously it's still you know serious but now we're seeing the after effects where now it's even you know crazier in some ways for a business where supply chain you know inflation all these other things that are you know moving stuff up so yeah we're definitely still working through all that stuff you know and figuring out ways to maybe change suppliers and you know find product at a better price and product in general, you know, because sometimes that's, that's really difficult. But you know, while it's super stressful, you know, all of our franchisees, again, they're grinders, they're in there working their butts off every day, making sure they have product, making sure they can serve those customers. So, you know, there's not out of the woods, you know, quite yet for all this stuff. But you know, our guys are, are killing it and still pushing really hard to make sure that, that they can keep the doors open and keep people fed. Tom, what's, what's the long term vision of Fat Shack? And then what's the long term vision of Tom Armenti? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I've always said, this isn't some, Hey, build it up to hundred locations and sell, you know, for me, the fat shack truly is long-term, you know, while I love doing other investments and, you know, you and I chat about this stuff too, and, you know, putting our money in other places and, and making sure that we don't have just the one stream of income income um, for me, you know, this is my baby. You know, I, I want to continue through fat shack until they kick me off the board you know, when I'm, when I'm 90 years old or, you know, whatever it is. So, you know, yeah, we're that, in a wheelchair, then we'll be able to push you around. Tom, yeah. you, know? I can, you can still make sandwiches if you're sitting in a wheelchair. So exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's, that's a big thing for me. And for the fat check, it is truly just continue to grow smart, you know, have my eye on the future where, yeah, you know, we slowed down a little bit recently with some of the labor shortages, you know, with some of the supply chain issues, you know, we have put a slowdown because we want to make sure that people are coming in and they're going to be successful. And we know that with what's going on right now, we make some adjustments. We figure out our stuff. Unfortunately, other restaurants probably won't be able to. And, you know, we'll come out of it stronger again, you know, with potentially less competition. Um, but, yeah, I'm not I'm not so worried if 
you know, we don't open 10 locations next year. You know, for me, it's make sure our existing ones are doing well, and then we can grow intelligently and build, you know, a long-term successful brand. And what about you, Tom? I mean, you know, because you've obviously built up a, an incredibly successful franchise and incredibly successful business. But what about you personally? Um, do you have other aspirations outside of Fat Check that you want to take a look at, things that you're looking to drive? Well, on the uh, the true personal front, my wife and I just had our, our first child uh, in June. So yeah. our, our, our son. So that's been quite the uh, exciting ride for these last few months. You know, he's about 11 weeks old right now. So, you know, on top of doing all this during the day, then I'll feed that bottle at 10 p.m., wake up at, you know, three, do another bottle, wake up again. So, you know, I will say that that's been a lot of fun for me. So, you know, I want to make sure that I'm not strictly focused on, you know, the fat check and the business side, and I can, you know, be there to enjoy uh, my son. And, you know, again, even if that means I'm, I'm enjoying it at three in the morning, obviously, you know, I'm, I'm not afraid of the late nights here with the fat check. So, you know, that's an exciting part. Um, but yeah, I'm also, you know, looking for other investments and, and other, you know, young brands that I could potentially come in and, you know, do a little advising for on the side. You know, I'm talking to a couple companies right now, you know, I've made a couple investments before and, you know, one other restaurant too, and, you know, some other private companies that, again, you know, not that I have the time to go put in another 50, 60, 70 hours for a company, but, you know, I do have that bandwidth to put a little advising in and, you know, help and guide them from the things that I've seen myself. Awesome. Tom, we are Infinity X stage and microphone, folks. This has been Tom Armenti, the co-founder, CEO of the Fat Shack appeared on Shark Tank, 10th anniversary episode, got countless replays on that, 30 locations across the country and continue to grow and scale. And, um, you know, Tom, um, just from a personal perspective, right, you know, and from the first conversation that you and I had, I knew that we were going to, you know, be boys. I, I like there was there was a lot of personal history right there, you know, talking about Kinchley's over on uh, Franklin. Yeah. You can't go wrong with a Jersey pizza, right? <laughs> exactly, dude. Exactly. And I, you know, but I also knew that I was dealing with somebody who's operating at a different level, right? Somebody who's a big, a, a big, a big scale critical thinker who is, you know, is really, really going to be up to incredible things. And the sky is absolutely the limit for you, brother. And I'm just excited to have my wagon hitched to you, you know, and be on, <laughs> on for the ride. But um, Tom, the last parting question that I have for you is how can people keep up with what you're up to? And if people are interested in exploring a partnership and or investing in a franchise store location of the Fat Shack, how do they do that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, our website's just fatshack.com, F-A-T-Shack.com. And we've got a form on there, you know, for anyone that's interested in a franchise, you can mention the podcast, you know, so maybe it jumps to the top of the list for us to, uh, to look at. But, you know, same thing, social media, you know, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all that, you know, at fatshack or at fat underscore shack, you know, you can keep up with what we're doing there. Um, you know, me personally, you can find me on LinkedIn, just Tom Armenti, you know, CEO of Fat Shack. Um, or again, you know, Instagram and, and those places as well. So yeah, all those different channels to kind of keep up with, with what we're doing at the Fat Shack. Incredible, Tom. What you're up to at the Fat Shack is sick. It really, and, and it's not from overeating, by the way. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Tom, it's been, a, it's been a pleasure, brother. You know, having you on here, you know, getting to know you, seeing what you're up to, it's just been, it's been a lot of fun. And I'm really, really excited to continue to co-create with you, men. And, you know, thank you for spending some time on the Infinity X stage tonight, buddy, really. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on. It was fun.
Oh, man, it was a lot of fun. Folks, we are Infinity X. This has been Tom Armenti, CEO of Fat Shack. Um, replay, we are InfinityX.com. We are InfinityX YouTube and on the We Are Infinity X app. Uh, Tom, thank you again. Folks, thank you for spending the last hour with us. Keep up with Tom. If you're interested in the franchise model, get in touch with Tom. And um, next week, we will uh, we'll be back here for another episode of We Are Infinity X. Everybody have a good night. Night, Tom. Thanks, guys. Yeah, buddy. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.